Well, this morning I want to talk about the path of life and how not to get lost. And I wonder, are any of you, have you, you ever been lost? Anybody ever get lost? <laughs> yeah. So I have no sense of direction, and I love to wander, and I love to explore, and I get lost a lot. Um, most often here in the U.S., I'm lost in parking lots. <laughs> yes. Okay, so, yeah, I just don't have that sense of direction. And in Taiwan, when we had a day off, Rick and I both loved to explore. So one day we hopped in our car, and we drove up into the mountains. And the mountains that we chose to drive in, to drive in, you know, it's, mountains are really curvy roads, right? And sometimes it's just like one little one little lane through there. Glad we didn't meet somebody. Sometimes there's no guardrails and you just look down. And so it's a little bit treacherous to get to the top. But we got to the top and it was so worth it. It was so beautiful. When we started back down the mountain, we came to a fork in the road and both of us looked at each other and go, hmm. Which one did we come up on? Neither of us could remember. So no problem, right? We have Google. Google Maps hasn't failed us yet. Well, it's failed us a few times in Taiwan. Google doesn't speak Chinese very well. But so I get out my phone and I say, hey, Google, take me home. And you know what Google said? I'm sorry, you can't get there from here. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> like, what? Who said that? <laughs> Google talks back. Okay, so, have you ever wandered away from God? Because I have. And you know the cool thing about God? When you're wandering away from him, he's never going to say, sorry, there's no way back. God will always bring us back. So when we talk about the path of life, I hope that you picture your life as a journey. There's this road ahead of us, we're on the road, and at the end of your life, I hope you can say this verse. I hope you can say to God, oh, thank you, God, thank you, Father, for showing me the path of life. I hope you can look back over your life and see how God has led you, and that then you'll be ready to just jump into his presence that, you know, when you stand before him, you're just delighted to be there with him and experience his joy. That's what I hope your path looks like by the end of your life. But, you know, Jesus told us something that's, um, he, well, Jesus said a lot of really remarkable things, didn't he? Some things pretty hard to understand. Like this one, Jesus is speaking and he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's take these two verses and look at the contrast. Notice that there are two paths, only two, only two paths in life. Just as there are only two destinations when we arrive in eternity, only two. So there's a path that is wide and easy, 
And there's a path that is narrow and hard. Now, which path would you choose? So this first picture um, on your right, I see, I don't know directions. Is that on your right or left? The highway. <laughs> That's what I like my life to look like. Like I can't see the end, so I think I got a long way to go before I reach the end. That's what I'd like to think. Who knows? Who knows how soon you'll reach the end, or I'll reach the end. But I'd like it to be wide so I don't fall off. I'd like it to be solid, steady, scenic, enjoyable. That's the path I want. Rather than this other path, do you see that one? Pretty steep incline. <laughs> you know, like, I'm game to go on that path, but somebody's going to have to help me. I'm sure that I can't make it up that narrow, difficult path with all those boulders. I'm never going to make it if somebody doesn't help me on that path. And so I probably wouldn't choose that path, but look what else Jesus says. He says the wide and the easy path, the one that I would prefer, look where it leads. He said it leads to destruction. And the narrow and the hard path, that leads to life. Now, I want to say, hey, did you get those words backwards? Like, can I have the wide and the easy life? Easy life, yeah. <laughs> That's what I want. But he says, no, the wide and the easy road lead to destruction. If you need something to talk about around your dining room table or when you're sitting with friends, talk about why is that? Why does the wide and easy life lead to destruction. That's a good thing to think about. One more contrast is that the wide and the easy, that's where most people are. Those who enter it are many, many. And that hard and narrow path, that difficult path, look what he says. This is Jesus saying that. He says those who find it are few. This is a really important scripture passage to consider. Which path, which path are you on? Well, this last Sunday, I had the joy of speaking to our youth group here at HCC. We've got a great youth group. I had a great time. I feel like I connected, and they asked me questions, and I loved it. And I wanted to, when I was preparing to speak to them, I thought, let me think. When I was their age, how did I picture life? How did I picture my future? <laughs> so for those of you who are out of high school, think back to when you were in high school, when you graduated. How did you picture life? How did you picture your future? Can you remember? <laughs> is it anything, is your life turned out anything like you thought it would? Well, mine hasn't at all, but we're all on different paths. Anyway, so I asked the youth, I want you to think right now, what do you think your life will be like in five to ten years? I asked them, do you think in five to ten years you're still going to be walking with God? 
Are you still going to be seeking to know him more? Are you still going to be loving him and valuing him and making time in your life to stay connected to a body of believers that's going to encourage you to grow? Are you still going to be there 10 years from now? You see, I saw this this uh, research done by Barna Research Group that says two out of three young people who grow up attending church are no longer attending church or identifying as a Christian five to ten years out of high school. Two out of three. Two out of three that grow up in a Christian home that are taken to church every Sunday that are active in their youth group, two out of three are walking away when they become adults. Now, that's pretty alarming. It makes me think, as a church, we need to think, how are we going to reach this next generation? It doesn't look like we're doing so good. But it's not just teens. It's not just youth. A Pew Research study, and this is clear back in 2015, six years ago. In the U.S., for every one person who joins a church, four are leaving. It's no surprise that if you, if you read much of other denominations, denominational leaders will say the American church is in decline. Most churches are getting smaller, not bigger. Uh, research has shown that less people identify as Christian now than 10 years ago, 12% less. And more people now in the U.S. identify as none. 26% of the U.S. at this point say no religion it kind of looks like we're losing ground. So, with the youth, I talked about how can that be? What is it that's pulling people away? We talked about five lies that our culture feeds us. But today, you know, there are so many reasons. There are so many reasons that I think the church is in decline. And today, the point of my message is how do you make sure You, no matter what age you are, how can you be sure that at the end of your life, you're still going to be walking with God? Because life is hard. Life is confusing. And I just want to share a short story with you about the time in my life when I almost walked away from God. I came to know Christ at the age of 14, never knowing anything, never going to Sunday school or church till then, hearing the gospel, thinking, this makes so much sense. Yes, if I give my life to Christ, my life will be so much better. I was so excited. I couldn't wait to go home and tell my parents their life was miserable. We need Jesus. Jesus will make our life better. That's what I expected. Jesus will make my life better. Well, by the time I was 20... To the age of 27, seven years, I was sick all the time. I had an illness that put me in the hospital four to five times a year. Now, it wasn't a terminal illness. Look, I'm still here. The people have gone through much worse than I have. But four or five times a year, I'm in the hospital for seven years, year after year. I cannot get well. The point, um, I'm starting to drift. I'm starting to wonder, where is God? Five years in, I ended up in a hospital. We'd just moved to Weatherford, Oklahoma. We'd been there two weeks, and I end up in the hospital. At this time, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. 
My husband didn't have the kind of job he can just take off whenever. He just got there, had a lot to do. And so we need somebody to take care of our children, and we know nobody. So um, he called the Baptist Church, and they recommended a couple university girls. They were great, came and took turns staying with our kids while I'm in the hospital. But what am I doing in the hospital? I'm fuming. I'm mad. I'm like, God, my children need me. They've been through enough trauma just moving again. Now people are taking care of them that they don't even know, and I'm here. And I said, you know, laying in a hospital bed, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, God, do you really love me? Because it doesn't seem like it. I mean, do you even care what's going on here? Because I know you could heal me. I know you could. If you loved me, you'd heal me. Those kind of thoughts. Then I thought, why even pray? I mean, I've prayed for five years, and here I am again. And then it gets worse. I laid there, and I thought, you know what? I must have done something to make God really mad at me. I mean, he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't seem to care about what's going on in my life. What did I do to make God so mad at me? And I about gave up on God. Like, I don't think there's any way I can walk as a Christian. I can't please him. I can't even figure out how to please him so that he'll do what I want, what I need. So there I am fuming in my hospital bed. And God, he loves me. He sent that Baptist preacher to visit me, a man I've never met. He's never met me. He came to visit me. And I could tell right away by his countenance and the way he handled himself, this is a really kind man. And I, I just let it out. I just told him all these ugly things I was thinking about God. And do you know what he did? He didn't scold me. He didn't say, oh, you can't believe that way now. That's not true about God. Oh, you got to have faith. No, that's not what he did. He had such compassion. I look at his face and I just see compassion. He told me, you know, I don't remember what all he told me. I remember he prayed for me and then he left. And then he came back the next day and he brought me a book and said, maybe if you'd like, you could read this. It might help. It was called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. So now I had a book to kind of guide me and it did guide me into the scripture, into the truth about trials and tests. And that Baptist preacher, he kept checking on me. And essentially, he's the one who took my hand and said, come on, this doubt, it's steering you off the path. Let me help you get back on. I don't know. Yeah, I nearly gave up on God. So let me go back. Like I said, the path of life doesn't look like what we expect so often, right? The truth is, everyone has a hard life. And we don't, we don't like to think about the hard things of life. We don't. And my thought is that one reason we might be losing people, because I've seen it in my own life, I've watched other people who have walked away. Something really hard happens in our life 
it's not what we expected, and God doesn't do what we expect, and we give up. I think doubt is huge, and I think we ought to be talking about our doubts. And I want to say to you, parents, let your children ask questions. You ask them questions. You see something on the news, you say, what do you, what do you think God is doing in this? What do you think God would say about this? Let them voice their questions. Don't shut them down by saying, oh, don't think that way. Let them talk about what it is that's in their heart. And in our small groups, we ought to be doing that. We learn from each other. So this is a general statement. Well, first of all, a truth. Our culture shapes our worldview and our worldview interprets how we read Scripture. Got it? Our culture shapes our worldview. Our worldview interprets Scripture. And I was really confronted with that when I moved to Taiwan. Radically different worldview, radically different culture, and when I'd sit under teachers, Taiwanese teachers and preachers, my mind was in a whirl. Like, is what I believe biblical Christianity? Or is it American Christianity? I think there's a difference sometimes, not everything. But one way that I wonder if we get derailed and doubt starts taking over is what we expect out of God. Because I saw what they expect out of Christian life is a lot different than what I expected out of Christian life. We talked to a Taiwanese pastor who told us his three main points that he wants his congregation to get. The three things he focuses on, here they are. First, he's going to teach them how to suffer well. First, how to suffer well. Secondly, he wants to teach them how to honor Christ when they're persecuted. And third, he's going to make sure every one of them knows how to share their faith. They expect life to be hard. You know, they don't expect this wide and easy road. And part of it's their culture, part of it's our culture. We have to admit I think the pursuit of happiness kind of drives our culture. And if something isn't happy, it must not be the will of God. But th these are just two verses that I would hear them share often. Some translations in 2 Timothy 2 say, share in suffering. And some say, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. They talked about, come on, endure hardship. Be willing to suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all, all, that little word, who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. They talked a lot about that. So, I, living around them, seeing how how they approach the scriptures differently made me wonder about my own worldview 
And do I expect suffering, or do I think when trials come to my life, there's something wrong? You know, Elizabeth Elliot says, heaven's not here, it's there. And if God gave us everything we wanted here, our hearts would settle for this earth rather than long for heaven. Isn't that true? And maybe sometimes we have this idea that life here should be like heaven. Now we got a journey. It's that hard and narrow journey. If you're going to make it to Jesus, don't expect it to be easy. So I want to give you five, there's so many, but just five ways how not to lose your way. Five scriptures. And these five things are to, first of all, expect suffering. Second, be thankful for trials. Third, trust God's wisdom and believe that he is in sovereign control. Fourth, stay in the word. And fifth, stay connected to a body of believers that's wanting to grow and learn to know God more. So let's look at these scriptures. How not to lose your way. The first one, expect suffering. Don't think something is really strange because that's what 1 Peter 4 says. It says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised if life is hard. That's not something strange, he says, so expect it. Be thankful for it. Look at 1 Peter again. In this you rejoice. That means be thankful. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This, these two verses have so much packed in them. The one thing it's saying is that trials are necessary to prove that your faith is genuine. Do you understand that? A faith that can't stand the test is a faith that can't be trusted. And I believe that if you are truly belong to God and you're gonna spend eternity with him, he wants you to know that for sure, no doubt. You belong to him no matter how hard life is, no matter what comes your way, you're gonna trust him, he, he's yours, you're his, and you're gonna spend eternity in heaven. God wants you to know that 100% sure. But you know what else God wants you to know? If you're not truly his, he wants you to know that. He doesn't want you to have a false assurance. You know, one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is Matthew 7, 21 and 22, and it says, on that day, and it's talking about the day that we will all face Jesus. Everyone who ever lives will face Jesus. On that day, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many wonderful miracles in your name? And he will say to them, 
I never knew you. Now, isn't that scary? It tells me there are people who are involved and active in church, doing all kinds of good things, and yet when they face Jesus, he's going to say, I never knew you. So, test, reveal whether your faith is real. And for that reason, trials are necessary. They're a good thing. If your faith isn't genuine, he wants you to know that before you face him and it's too late. How not to lose your way? You're in a place you don't want to be. You're going through something you can't get rid of and you don't like. God says this one to me a lot. (laughs) Oh, Barb, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours, and my ways are higher than yours. Basically, God's saying, Barb, you don't understand. You don't get it. This doesn't make sense, Lord. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be going through this. And God's saying, just a minute. You don't think like I do. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that we have a God who doesn't think like we do? I don't want a God that is like me. I want a God that is much greater than me. So first of all, trust. You belong to him. What you're going through, he's planned it. It's part of his wisdom, and he's in control. And it goes on in Isaiah 55 to this next part. This is the next two verses, and it tells us how to stay, how important it is that we stay in God's word. So listen, get this word picture. The rain and snow come down from the heaven. They stay on the ground to water the earth. A lot of you are farmers, gardeners, you know that. We need rain, we need snow to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. We gotta have it, right? God says, it is the same with my word. Did you get that? He says, I will send it out and it always produces fruit, always. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Do you see the power of God's word and how much we need it? In that, the two scriptures before, when God says, my ways and my thoughts are way beyond yours, it's like yours are clear down here, Barb, mine are way up here. But he's given us his word to bridge the gap. Do you understand? The more that we're in his word, the more we get to know him, the more we see how he does things, how he thinks. I don't believe we'll ever come to the point that we've studied the word so much that we totally understand God. That won't happen. (laughs) He's so far beyond our thinking. But remember, he has given us his word to give us everything we need. Maybe not everything we want everything we need. Makes me think about, again, about a trail. I remember uh, Rick and I one day went on this trail 
that we've never been on before. And there's a map at the beginning. And I stopped to look at the map, and it was a tear-off. I thought, well, we ought to take that. And Rick's going, why? We don't need that map. So we're not serious hikers. I mean, for us, an hour or two in, hour or two out, four-hour hike's pretty good. That day, we wandered in a jungle for six hours. And it was starting to get dark, and I'm like, why didn't we take that map? <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have helped, but I think it could have helped us. And how often am I wandering through life just so confused, can't see the way to go, can't figure it out, but I'm not going to the map. God has told us everything we need to know. We need to know. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you need faith for the situation you're in, you need a good dose of the word. We just cannot live without the word. So how not to lose your way? Stay in God's word. How not to lose your way? Stay connected with believers. This is huge. It's huge. I hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I don't think I really need the church. I'm sorry, but God's word says differently. It's not my words. In Hebrews, it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What are we supposed to do when we get together? Encourage one another. Build each other up. There are times I'm going to be low and I need you to speak a word to me and pray for me. There are times when I hope I can help you. We all have our own ups and downs. Life is not straight. Life is up, down, up, around this curve. It's not the easy path. We need each other. We're not going to make it. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body of Christ says the church is like a body and we all do different things. Not everybody can work in the nursery. <laughs> Not everybody can do a good job of running the sound. Not everybody can teach. So we're all a different part of the body. And the hand can't say to the foot, oh, I don't need you. Uh -uh. The foot can't say to the hand, Oh, I can handle this by myself. I'll, I'll go serve these people without, my hand, without any hands, just my feet. I can do that. No, we've all got to work together. We're all a part of the body. We need each other. We can't say to each other or to ourselves, well, the church doesn't need me. Yes, the church does need you. Which path are you on? I was thinking one of the first verses that um, I memorized as a new Christian was Romans 8:28. It says, "Then we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose." My definition, the way I interpret that. I have Jesus, my life is going to be good. Everything's going to be good 
pretty sure that my definition of good and God's definition of good differ. I absolutely believe Romans 8.28 is true. He causes all things to work together for good. But my definition of good is what pleases me, what makes me most comfortable, what makes me most happy. In this life, God's going to make everything work towards that end. I don't think so. I think that's <laughs> our culture. Truth is, what God is more concerned about is eternity. This life is a blip, like a little pinprick compared to the rest of our life in eternity. And that's what all that good God means for us is he's using these hard things in life to prepare us so that we know we're going to live with him. So that we're ready to meet him. So that we can stand before him. And he says to us, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. So we all have to make a choice. There's only two, only two choices. Either you're going to choose the wide, easy path, or you're going you're gonna to say, hey, God, I want to follow you no matter how hard it is. Someday, we're all going to face Jesus. We don't know if we're going to go instantly like Rick did or if we're going to have time to think about it like my first husband did with cancer. But just suppose, none of us know, right? Let's know tomorrow. Suppose that you're laying in a hospital bed and the doctor actually says to you, there's nothing more we can do. Prepare to meet your maker. <laughs> Today, do you know for absolute, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that, yep, I can say to God today, yes, God, you have shown me the path of life. I have walked with you on this path, even though it was narrow and difficult. You have walked beside me. I know that you showed me this path of life, and so I am looking forward to stepping over this, just one step into eternity and I know I'm going to enjoy the presence of Jesus forever. Is that what you, where you are? Are you absolutely 100% sure? Because if you're not, I hope you don't leave today before you talk to somebody. I know Pastor Jeremy would be eager to talk to you. Any of the elders, I'll talk to you. It's okay to have doubts. I want you to hear that. If you're not sure, talk about those doubts. I love the word because there's so many people in here that doubted God. It's okay to doubt. It's what are you going to let the doubt do to you? Are you going to let it drive you away from God? Or are you going to take a hold of that steering wheel of doubt and drive it to God? And then I want to say, if today something has happened in your life and you're enduring one of those hardships, one of those tests that has just gotten you down. I get it. I've been down more than once. And you just need somebody to talk to. Please do that. Don't be afraid to say, I don't understand. Because we all have those questions about God. And you need somebody to talk to. Again, seek out somebody. 
can always talk to me, talk to Pastor Jeremy, talk to one of the elders. Make sure that you don't settle. I'm going to say it, don't settle for the wide and easy life in the pursuit of happiness. It's not our goal. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Share your faith. I think the goal of our life is see how many people can we bring with us so it's a big party when we get in heaven. A lot to think about. Two roads, only two. And two destinations, only two. Let me pray. Father God, we're so grateful, so grateful for your, that you're a God of grace, a God of mercy, extreme patience you have with us, God, because you love us, and you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to take our place. We deserve nothing but your wrath. There's nothing good in us, God. You don't love us because we're good. You love us because of Jesus. Father, I want to ask that by your spirit, the power of your word would transform our thoughts, that we would consider and evaluate our own life as if we were standing before you right now. Thank you, God. Would you have your way in our hearts? Would you keep us on your way? Would you bind us together that we'll work together to show Harrisonville what a great God you are? I ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.